Welcome back to the Geeky Techie Coolcast. Today we're going to talk about the NVIDIA Jetson Nano, Sony's Pulse 3D headset, some company named Google had an event, and Sony's backwards compatibility with the PlayStation 5, as well as some cool stuff. So let's get into it! Thank you for tuning back into the Geeky Techie Coolcast. This is episode four. Let's dive right into the headlines. First up is the NVIDIA Jetson Nano Computer. This is essentially a Raspberry Pi competitor that gives a bit more of an AI nudge or AI power to its makers. So Tom's Hardware put out an article. I'll link that in the description as well. Basically, they introduced this back in 2019. It was a little more expensive than, well, double the price of the Pi uh, with more RAM and more processing power, but it just didn't hit that sweet spot in terms of usability. It was almost too much for what most people would buy something like it for. So in 2020, they've done a two gigabyte version, so two gigs of RAM, and it's got a Wi-Fi dongle included in the package as well. So this gives you something that can communicate, can do faster image processing or image recognition, and it gives you kind of a bit more of an opening to do some pretty impressive and pretty interesting projects. I'm excited to see what people do with this. Um, I'm not quite to the level of tinkerer yet where an Adreno or, or Raspberry Pi or Nano uh, Jetson like this would be in my workshop, but I'd like to get there at some point because there's some pretty interesting things you can do. Next up is Sony's Pulse headset. Now, at this point, Sony is developing the Tempest audio system to be built into the PlayStation 5. It is going to provide 3D audio through a few different profiles that you can select. They're using a measurement that essentially measures your head and ear composition and all this different stuff. They've tested it across 100 different people, and you'll have five different profiles to choose from to get the best audio for you. And they're doing that knowing that it is a system that will work with any two-channel audio so your TV speakers, your standard surround sound with putting out uh, two-channel audio, as well as just a standard headset. So if you have a good headset now, keep it. It's good. You're good to use it. If you want to upgrade to the latest from Sony, their, their PlayStation 5 headset's going to obviously be the best for their experience. They're going to make the best option for that. And then on top of that, you can obviously upgrade to something swinging for the fences and get the best you can possibly afford, and you're not going to be disappointed there either. So either way, it's a win-win. So some company named Google, I don't know if you guys have heard of them before, they had an event this last week. Uh, they rolled out some new Nest speakers, some new versions of their phones, and a new phone, uh, Google TV with remote. And a big uh, kicker would be the Pixel 5 and the Pixel 4 are getting 5G. So that's pretty awesome. If you haven't taken a look, I'll put the links in the description of the podcast, and you guys will get a chance to take a look at that if you want to in your own time. But a little lackluster, in my opinion, a little light this year. But I, I think that there's some contributing factors to that. Last but not least is Sony's backwards compatibility from the PlayStation 5 to the PlayStation 4. Currently, we do not have all titles listed as backwards compatible from the PlayStation 4 to the PlayStation 5. Sony is working to amend that list and get more titles added as we speak. However, we can confirm that PlayStation 3, 2, and 1 will not be backwards compatible with the PlayStation 5. So that leads to last week's discussion about how Sony is now looking at a competing service to Games Pass and is looking for talent right now, job postings within the industry, different developers who have been contacted about how to build services like that out. You know, there's a lot going on and we don't really know all the details and we're probably not going to know until it's announced so everybody just get ready to pivot get ready to adjust nothing's going to stay the same it's all going to change don't get set into a rut because it's just going to be an ever-changing uh landscape right now as xbox takes hold of kind of their new lead and sony starts to understand they need to kind of play some catch up so kind of is what it is 
that's it for the headline section. If you don't want to stick around for the editorial, now is your time to leave. I truly appreciate you listening. Thank you very much. Links in the description for the things I talked about. And if you want to follow more in depth, stay tuned. We'll get right into it. Thank you to those of you that stuck around. I appreciate it. We're going to dive into the NVIDIA Nano PC right now. And the Tom's Hardware article, I have it up. I'm going to read just a few snippets, and we'll kind of go from there. But it's a pretty cool device. I'm pretty excited about what it can mean. While the Raspberry Pi boards are great for doing all kinds of tasks, and they're capable of doing object recognition, they can be a little slow when it comes to real-time image recognition. So that first part's kind of important. When you talk about real-time image recognition, you're talking about something scanning an image able to recognize something in that image and react to it based off of a pre-programmed or pre-destined set of instructions. So the other part of this that's really cool is to help more hobbyists make use of its platform, NVIDIA is also introducing free online training and certification programs for AI. Since the nearly identical 4-gigabyte Jetson Nano has been on the market for a year and a half, there's also been an existing community of developers who've shared tutorials and open-source projects. You can even buy Jetson robot kits to build. So you can buy a robot kit using this Jetson Nano computer that is already better than a Raspberry Pi at image recognition. That's pretty amazing. Like that, that leads to some pretty cool projects. And if you think about a hundred bucks is, is the four gig version, by the way. So you've got a $59 two, two gigabyte version, a hundred dollar four gigabyte version, a hundred dollars to start kind of your brain of a, of a robot that you want to build to, you know, do a simple task or maybe terrorize the dog or whatever, right? That's an amazing project. Now, all of us nerdy dads out there, right, who have kids, that is like a dream come true. That's pretty freaking amazing. So I got to bone up on my uh, tinkering skills because I need to be able to use this and and do something cool with it because this just sounds amazing. I'm into RC stuff anyway. So putting some kind of brain on an RC car and have it be able to, you know, chase the kids around or something. I don't know. I got to figure that out. It looks pretty cool. Uh, the rest of this article basically goes into uh, the specs of it. It's a, a for the larger units, a four gigabyte unit. Um, they use a quad core arm CPU running at 1.43 gigahertz, which is freaking nuts. Like thinking back to computers when we were growing up as kids, I'm 35. So that's just crazy to me that quad core fits into something the size of a credit card is, is just unbelievable. Um, the big spec to think about is the Jetson Nano 2-gigabyte, two, two, two oh wow, can't speak, 2-gigabyte scores anywhere from 8 to 73 times higher than a Raspberry Pi 4, which is the current uh, Raspberry Pi to the market. So, I mean, that's a giant amount of difference. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, I don't know how to use any of this stuff yet. I'm just getting into kind of this stuff. My son's six, and so it's kind of lending towards wanting to learn more about the or automation, automation projects and how to build them and Adreno boards and so on and so forth. So um, I'm pretty excited. This is some pretty cool news. I can think of some pretty interesting things to do with this right now, and I'm sure that that will increase later. Next up, we're going to talk about the Dolby Atmos sound standard and the Sony's proprietary sound standard. Now, this is a uh, article that I got off of uh, WCCF Tech. Now, Dolby Atmos, the, the title of the article is Dolby Atmos can also support hundreds of objects like PS5's Tempest audio engine, says Dolby. So here are kind of the question points and the counterpoints to um, why Sony decided to go their own route. Is it true that Dolby Atmos is capped at 32 objects? No. 
That is incorrect. As a technology, Dolby Atmos can support hundreds of simultaneous objects. So when someone says an object, when they're talking about sound design, they mean a source of audio, essentially. So just to give some context. Back to the answer. That being said, we fall back on sage advice from developers of some of the first Atmos games. Objects are a fantastic tool, but restraint should be shown with respect to the number of objects active at any time. Too many objects in motion can create a confusing soundstage. Developers also have told us that avoiding the horizontal bed for an all-object mix is an unnecessarily time-consuming and labor-intensive effort. So far, developers are creating next-generation mixes by blending bed audio and object audio. More is good, but more may not necessarily be better. What do you think, question, what do you think of Sony's mission to bring 3D audio to everyone? Sony's mission to bring 3D audio to everyone in the PS5 is exciting. It reminds us of when we began the Dolby Atmos for Games journey many years ago. There are hundreds of now... Uh, there are now hundreds of millions of Dolby Atmos embedded products or enabled products on the market across several product categories, TV, AVR, soundbar, mobile phone, PC, game console, headsets. Dolby Atmos is also available at a wide range of prices, even as low as $15, which I don't know where that is. I got to find that $15 Dolby Atmos enabled thing. Next question. Sony announced a deep focus on 3D audio. How does that impact Dolby? Answer. We are thrilled that Sony is dedicated to using 3D audio in its new console. This can only be interpreted as a validation of the work we have done across all entertainment genres in implementing Dolby Atmos on, a device, on devices the consumers use every day. We will continue forward with our mission to ensure Dolby Atmos is supported on the standard and 3D audio on all endpoints. Last question. What is the impact of Sony's audio pro platform, the Tempest 3D Audio Tech? Uh, answer. Similar to Microsoft's Windows Sonic Spatial Audio Platform, which I don't really like, by the way, Audio teams will rejoice that they have a powerful 3D audio platform to deliver their craft on PS5. We think it's crucial. We think it's a crucial milestone for game studios. We are excited to hear that Sony is co is committed to an evolution of its audio by establishing a bona fide 3D audio platform for the PS5. Tempest is not only a great name, but a great reference to one of our favorite arcade classics as well. So, basically, Dolby, the, the centers that 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 speak for Dolby, are coming out and saying. The limitation that Sony has cited for the Dolby platform is not necessarily true. So it can handle the same 100 channels of output or input, so on and so forth. But in the end, they've reserved those channels because engineers within the platform have said doing too much might cause problems, might be confusing for the user. Um, and, and I can agree with that to a point. I'm not really sure where Sony's power play is with this. I'm not sure why they want to go proprietary. It hasn't really worked well um, for other platforms. Apple's probably the only company in the world who can, you know, proprietary everything and still survive. But that's part of the reason because they, they built such high quality, high end devices. People need and want that fit and finish. And so they're willing to pay to have the proprietary feeling and fit and finish that goes along with that. So with Sony, I'm not really sure where they're going with this. Um, the rest of this article is, is a couple paragraphs. I'll read them to you. The upside of the PlayStation 5's approach is that 3D audio will be delivered to the more than just Dolby Atmos licensed devices. On the other hand, Dolby can count on the support of Microsoft's Xbox Series X console, which also comes with its own custom audio hardware to offload audio processing from the CPU. Two completely different approaches for Microsoft and Sony. We'll see which one presume, or proves to be most fruitful. Both Sony and Microsoft are basically offloading this audio processing to secondary chips. It's two different approaches. Uh, Microsoft is doing a standard, essentially the Dolby standard. They're making their own tweaks, I would imagine. And then uh, Sony is doing this Tempest engine. And we'll see in the end which one sounds better. I'm going to end up having both consoles in the house. I'll be able to tell real time using the same exact headset, which is going to maybe produce something that is a bit 
better than the next. So um, the one caveat that I have is Sony talking about these these giant amount of channels. Sensory overload is a real thing. You know, it, if you have all of these audio channels happening at the same time, and unless you are extremely accurate and can can deliver extremely precise um, audio channel location, it's going to really, I think, overwhelm players trying to, especially multiplayer, trying to decide where someone is, what level are they on, are they above me, below me, are they near me, how close are they? You know, default audio for these kinds of things are, are kind of handled in just like an audio level kind of thing. You know, XYZ distance equals XYZ volume. So the closer you get, the louder it gets until it's at a default volume of them standing right next to you. The the whole point of these 3D audio formats is to make that more of a realistic experience, uh, make that more of a um, uh, kind of visceral and real life uh, type feeling. I don't know how well they're going to be able to do this. You know, there's no way to get around the fact that no matter what headset you buy, unless you buy a very specific headset with multiple speakers slash drivers in the headset, you're still dealing with two channels of audio, left and right. That's it. The rest is all software gimmicks and adjusting timing and adjusting uh, frequency and adjusting fades and everything else to make it feel or sound like it's somewhere else. Now, I'm not saying that that can't make some amazing effects because it really, really can. Back in the day, uh, I was a car audio uh, installer and uh, Alpine came out with this thing called positioning. And you could adjust, based off of measurements in your vehicle, the position of the sound coming out of your speakers. And due to timing and frequency uh, changes within the, the, within the stereo, it would make it seem like instead of sitting in the front uh, driver's seat listening to your stereo, you were sitting in the center of the vehicle with all the speakers having an equal amount of sound to your ears. It was an amazing thing. And so it, it, it's a reality in terms of what they can do with software. All I'm saying is you're still limited by the fact that it's two speakers. It's not like you're standing in a perfectly designed room with 7.1 surround sound, all in a position perfectly for the spot that you're sitting in, and you can hear the direction of everything happening. So I'm curious to see what happens and how they implement this. Either way, um, it's going to work across the board. So if you have a good headset now, keep it and see what happens. Next up is Google. They had their event uh, this last week, and it's uh, you know typical Google fashion to have an event in October, uh, some, sometimes in the tail end, sometimes in the beginning. And basically, they announced a lot of uh, adjustments to OS in terms of uh, uh, Chromebook power and uh, phone uh, usability, and they offered uh, some 5G versions of their current line of phones with uh, a few change specs, as well as the new Pixel 5 with its own version of 5G and everything else. I mean, it, it's all pretty standard stuff. The link will be in the description of the podcast, so if you're interested in looking at what the new offerings are, by all means, please do. The things that stuck out to me were the uh, Nest speakers. They're kind of adjusting to go between two points within their offering. For a while, they've had these Google Nest Minis, which are about 50 bucks, 40 bucks. Uh, you can get them on sale for the previous generations. You can get them on sale for as cheap as $29. But the current Nest Mini is typically about $50 at a store. And they have good sound, um, uh, noticeably better than the last generation. But they're not quite as good as like the, the full-on Google Home that sounds like a boombox, basically. So they have now this offering somewhere in the middle. And these are the new Nest uh, speakers that they're uh, producing and they're targeting kind of that whole home audio experience where you put a nest in each room, tuck it on a shelf or, you know, put it somewhere where it's not going to be that noticeable. And one, you have Google home and accessible anywhere you uh, want to access it. And two, you're going to have a whole home stereo that has adequate full rich sound. And, um, I'm not going to lie to you. It's not going to sound as good as, you know, a big stereo with big tower speakers, but my grandfather who is obsessed with Bose, um, you know, little Bose 
boom boxes that they had um, back in the 90s and early 2000s that kind of sat on a table and they had a little wave design in the front. He'd probably love these Google Home, uh, Google Nest, because <laughs> they, they have that same kind of iconic, you know, good mid-range sound. And for, for just listening around the house, for doing some chores, folding laundry, putting some music on, they're not a bad thing. Listening to podcasts, hey-ho, um, they're not a bad solution. And I like ours. We have a little, a little minis, uh, the Nest minis, and they do a good job. So I think that they're targeting a midpoint of their buyer to give them a better option for something they don't have to spend a bunch of money on, but still get adequate sound, but not uh, something as small as the Nest Mini as well. So it's a good solution, and for a hundred bucks, I think it's uh, I think it's a good win. The other thing is the Google TV now has a remote, so you get with the Google TV, uh, you get a remote that is able to uh, scan through a UI, so user interface, fish user interface as well as uh, communicate to the remote so you can say, hey, you know, search up this episode, whatever. They're using the power of uh, Google Assistant, obviously, to empower this new device. And if you haven't used Google Assistant, you're missing out. It's phenomenally powerful. It does a f an amazing job of listening to voices and understanding conversations. Uh, my six-year-old, who is still learning to speak clearly and uh, accurately, can talk to Google and tell him to do many, many, many things. Well, it's a him for me. It's a girl for you know other people. So anyway, it can tell the assistant, or he can tell the assistant to play a playlist or play a song or you know search for this picture. And and uh, it, it, he does a quite a good job. And Google understands him pretty much ninety nine percent of the time. Um, it's incredibly powerful and also can get kind of frustrating because then my Spotify playlist gets filled with a bunch of kids pop songs. So we're still working on how to figure that out. Anywho. Last but not least, the Pixel 5 will be made with an aluminum back with a Gorilla Glass cover. So uh, they're upgrading the source of the material for the Google Pixel 5, and they're upgrading the glass that covers the back panel. Um, my personal favorite, to be honest, is the 4A right now, the Pixel 4A, because it's all plastic. If I drop it, uh, the only screen I'm worried about is the front screen. So... <laughs> I'm I'm a big fan of sturdy phones because I have a Note uh, 10 Ultra and or Note 10 Plus and I still have managed to crack the back glass twice, no matter it being in a case. Uh, front screen okay, back glass cracks twice. Uh, I'm 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 kind of done with this whole fancy phone thing. Um, and then the last thing that I want to talk about it's kind of some cool stuff that I've run across. Uh, I finished The Last of Us two. So if you haven't finished The Last of Us. Uh, I'm sorry. There's going to get a little bit of spoilers here. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm going to keep a minimum to the spoilers, but nonetheless, there's going to be some. At this point, if you haven't finished it, I've taken forever. If you haven't finished it, that's you know, that's shame on you. I am not overly impressed with the ending of the game. I, I'm flat out. I'm just. I'm not overly impressed. I loved the game on a whole. It was. It was amazing to play. The story was still quite good. It's. It's one of those games where my wife uh, will not let me play this game without her sitting down on the couch next to me because she wants to keep up on the story. It's like a book. So amazing story, um, very satisfying game mechanics to master in terms of stealth kills and getting around the map without being seen and, and crafting the proper items and, and your stylistic play that you want to play as can really make its way into what you do. So um, I, I'm a huge fan of the game. I, I'm just, I'm not a fan of the ending. The ending was very brutal um, and was very one one choice you, you you didn't have an option to adjust you only had one way to go about doing things and it was it just I didn't agree with what they were doing with the characters um, they might leave it open and, and to be honest if they leave it open and you play as Abby who is the uh, protagonist in, in the game to to, to Ellie um, if, if you 
if you play as Abby and you hear more about her story and, and where that leads her and it can lead to maybe um, some other kind of progressing through the game, I'm not really sure. But I think that would be kind of cool for the next version. But right now, as it sits, I'm not super excited about the ending. Uh, if they do an expansion or something, I might give it a try, but I'm not uh, I'm not so big on it right now. So sad day. I was hoping for that kind of thing. Uh, hoping for the first one uh, in terms of the ending, making me feel like, oh my God, why? Oh, it's so amazing. But I, I don't know. I think they kind of pushed the motivation too hard. I'm not really sure. So anywho, that's what I think. Uh, it's worth a playthrough, especially if you played the first one. It is definitely worth a playthrough, but the ending might be disappointing for you. It was for me. Uh, I ran across this wide body DeLorean. Um, it, it, this thing is 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 freaking nuts. Like it's it's insane. It looks like it was built in Germany. I'm gonna follow the link right now. Uh, I'm gonna try to give you some keywords to search up. I'm also gonna put the link for this in in the description. This is the DeLorean DMC-12 wide body MIT 1.150 PS 2JZ power. So anybody who doesn't know what a 2JZ is, it's a six cylinder uh, engine uh, out of uh, basically a bunch of performance cars in uh, in Japan. This is, I mean, this thing looks straight out of cyberpunk. This car is freaking amazing. Um, I'll put the link, like I said, in the description. Get it if you don't get a chance right now because you're listening to me on your phone or something. Stop. Come back to it later. You are gonna trust. Trust me. You want to go look at this thing. It is so freaking cool. Um, the website is all in German, and you're not gonna be able to understand anything they did. But they include the YouTube video of the walk around of the car, and then some some shots of it. It's it's just it's bonkers. I can't <laughs> I, I can't even explain how freaking amazing it is. It is insanely cool, and uh, I'm very excited that it exists just so I can look at it. But nonetheless, uh, the next cool thing is the the new Warzone meta that is that I watched earlier this week. Uh, basically, it, it's a highlight from Warzone um, uh, uh, Battle Royale, and it's got uh, one guy driving a quad and three guys with shields, riot shields, right, standing on the front of the quad, creating essentially like a, a Spartan line of defense. And they, they literally just run around at people with these uh, with these guys squatted down to the front of the quad, and they just mow people down. It is a stupid, stupid glitch in the game uh, in terms of the ability to do this, but it creates some pretty funny contacts and some pretty interesting uh, gameplay to watch. I will try to find that video, uh, and if not, uh, you you probably can uh, locate it on 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 the YouTube's pretty easily. Just searching in, you know, um, Riot Shield Quad Warzone probably will pop up. Anyway. I appreciate you, everyone. Thank you so much if you're tuning in. I, I appreciate the viewership or the, the listening. I, I appreciate the the, the sharing of, of the podcast. Please keep sharing it. Uh, don't forget to check us out on Instagram. Check us out on YouTube. Check us out on Twitter. Geeky Ticky Cool everywhere. Thank you so very much. Have a wonderful day. I'll talk to y'all next week. Bye bye.